Can I tell you a story before we begin the lesson? Yeah? Okay. Everybody loves stories, right? Especially girls. I love stories. My son loves stories too. In the Bukhari class that we had yesterday on Friday, we learned that once the Prophet ﷺ, he was traveling with a group of his companions and perhaps that journey was for an expedition because that's why the Prophet ﷺ would generally travel. And his wife, Aisha was also with him on that journey. Now as on their way back to Medina, they camped at a particular point and uh, when they were about to leave, Aisha she realized that her necklace was not there anymore. It broke, it fell somewhere, she couldn't find it anywhere. So the Prophet ﷺ, he stopped, he camped, and the rest of the people also stopped, because obviously if the Prophet ﷺ is stopping, then everybody has to stop. And if he's looking for the necklace, then everyone has to look for the necklace. So there, the entire army has stopped, they're all looking for the necklace of Aisha and nobody could find it anywhere. So eventually the Prophet ﷺ, he went and he put his head on Aisha lap, and he fell asleep. Now, it was salah time, and the people had no water. No water at all. And nearby also, there was no water. When you're in the desert, I mean, there's no gas station where you can stop and get some water. There's no restrooms on the highway. At that time, if you wanted water, you either had to find a well or some spring or something of the sort, and they had nothing. So the people started freaking out. And they started going to Abu Bakr anhu. And they were like, look at what Aisha has done. I mean, how careless can she be that she lost her necklace and the Prophet ﷺ has stopped and all of us have had to stop to look for her necklace? Like, what's going on? They were really upset that now our salah is being affected. Our salah is going to be delayed. And so what people did, they prayed without wudu. Because there was no command concerning tayammum yet. No ruling concerning tayammum yet. So they prayed without wudu. Now imagine, if you were in the position of Abu Bakr anhu, what would you do? He went to Aisha anha, And he saw the Prophet ﷺ was sleeping. So he could say whatever he wanted to Aisha anha. Obviously he was her father. So he went and he said, what have you done? People have no water, it's time for salah. And he didn't just scold her, but he also poked her, like pinched her on the side. Okay, remember we learned, فَضْرِبُهُنَّ What does that mean? Not slap across the face, not hit until the person is bruised, no. Just for the purpose of disciplining, even if it's a firm grasp. So he did that. Aisha she didn't move at all. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ was sleeping. Now something very interesting, she knew how much he loved her, and how much her dad was scared of the Prophet ﷺ. If she wanted, she could have screamed, right? Or made a sound or something, and the Prophet ﷺ would have woken up, and that's it. Abu Bakr wouldn't dare to say anything to her. But she did not move at all. So Abu Bakr said what he said, and he left. And eventually the Prophet ﷺ woke up, and the people were like, we have no water, it's time to pray. And soon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses concerning tayammum. So everybody performed tayammum, and they prayed like that. And then what happened, eventually they said, let's just go, forget it, we can't find the necklace. So they're getting ready to go. And as they were getting ready to go, a man came to lift up the camel of Aisha to make it stand. And as it stood, behold, there was the necklace. The camel was sitting on the necklace. And there was a companion 
who at that time, Usaid bin Khudair, he said to Aisha radiallahu anha, Jazakillahu khairan. Thank you very much. May Allah reward you. There has been nothing that has happened with you and you disliked it except that Allah placed much good in it for you and for the Muslims. This was something very difficult for you. You lost your necklace. And by the way, it was a necklace that she had borrowed from her sister. It wasn't even hers. She had borrowed it. Right? And imagine that feeling of loss. I don't have that necklace anymore. You know, if you have a piece of jewelry and you lose it, and no matter how cheap it is or how valuable it is, it doesn't matter. If you've lost it, you are heartbroken. Aren't you? You are. So it was difficult for Aisha anha. And on top of that, her father was upset with her. Her father became upset with her. What does Usaid bin Khudair say? Jazakillahu khairan. As if he's thanking her for losing that necklace. That because of you, alhamdulillah, we received the command concerning tayammum. And in another narration, we learned that he said to her, that this is not the first time we have received blessings through you, O Aisha. So it's a very amazing story. When we studied it yesterday, I was really shaken up, I was moved. It really touched me. And I was thinking of the verses that we also learned. And coincidentally, by Allah's will, it was the ayah of tayammum that we concluded on last week. And in the ayah of tayammum, what did we learn? That if you don't find water, if you're sick, you're on a journey, and you have to perform wudu, you have to do ghusl, then what can you do? Perform tayammum. فَتَيَمَّمُوا سَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا Now there is a question that somebody had asked, that how do you do tayammum? Are you supposed to like wash your face with mud? Like you know how they have these masks that they put on mud, right? So are you supposed to wash your face with mud? Are you supposed to wash your hands with the mud? Or is it that you just wipe your hands and your face and your arms and your feet and your head, everything? Because once there was a companion, when he learned about tayammum, he hadn't seen the Prophet ﷺ performing it. So he thought you're supposed to bathe yourself with mud. So that's what he did. He literally rolled over in mud to ensure that every part of his body got touched with mud. Imagine, that's what he did. And when the Prophet ﷺ found out, then he demonstrated to him. How did he perform tayammum? He pat his hands on the ground, okay, and then he blew them so that the extra dust could be blown off. And then he wiped his face, and then he wiped his hands. Khalas, that's it. Can you do that right now? Suppose that the table that's in front of you is mud or sand. How would you do it? Pat, okay, wipe your face, and then your hands. That's it. That's what tayammum is. And your face, what does that mean? From the tip of your forehead, all the way to the bottom of your chin. Okay, you don't have to go all the way to your neck, just the chin. Okay, and then from one ear to the other. Okay, that's your face. That's all that you have to wipe. And for a man, by the way, he doesn't have to pass his fingers, his muddy fingers, through his beard. Okay? He doesn't have to do that. So basically the point is that you don't have to ensure that the dust or the mud or the sand or whatever you're using actually touches every part of your skin or that it reaches it, it covers it. No, you just have to pass your hands over. Alright? Now last time I mentioned to you some things from which you can do tayammum and other things from which you cannot do tayammum. Let me question you, let me quiz you now. Can you do tayammum with rocks? Okay, good. 
Can you do tayammum from a piece of wood that's lying on the ground? No. What if that piece of wood is dusty? Yes. Why? Because that dust you're doing tayammum with and that dust is coming from where? From the ground. Okay. Can you do tayammum from the carpet? No. Why? Because it's not what the ground is generally made of. Alright? However, if the carpet is dusty, then in that case, yes. But you should try to find some other kind of dust. Anyways. Can you do tayammum from water? No. If you have water, what are you going to do? So you're going to do wudu with it. You're not going to do tayammum with that. Okay? Another question. Can you do tayammum with Play-Doh? No, it's not mud. Okay? It's not mud. Can you do tayammum with a plate that's made of, let's say, bone china? No, you can't. Why? Because it's not what the ground is generally made of. Okay. What if there is a dish that you have that's made of stone or clay? That's made of clay. Can you do tayammum with that? If it's painted or sealed, then you cannot. If it's not painted, not sealed, then you can. Okay? But I hope inshallah you won't be in such a situation. Inshallah, next time you do have to do tayammum, hopefully you will have rocks and sand and mud available to you. Okay? Alright, let's continue. Any question you have about tayammum before we continue? Yes? Grass? Grass itself, no. But yes, grass, you can. Why? Because it is in the ground. It's growing from the ground. Just like a tree that is growing from the ground. It's connected okay, to the ground. You can. But besides, the grass should have dust on it. So that's also good enough. Okay? Anything else? Yes? Snow? We discussed last time that snow that has fallen from the sky. No, not at all. But ice or like glacier basically that the ground is made of that is different. But if snow has turned into ice, no. Okay? I'm talking about if you're in North Pole or something like that. If you're in Alberta somewhere and there's a glacier. For miles and miles there is only ice and that's what the ground is. And it's always like that throughout the year. It's been like that for centuries. That is the ground. Okay? So in that case you will. Yes, last question? No. When you do tayammum, you don't do it over your arms. You don't do it over your head. You don't do it over your feet. Only your hands and your face. What's the evidence? فَمْسَحُوا بِوُجُوهِكُمْ وَأَيْدِيكُمْ Wipe your faces and your hands. And that's it. That is complete tayammum. How many times do you do tayammum, by the way? Do you have to wipe your hands and face three times? Only once. That's all you have to do. Alright? Let's begin. Verse number 44. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ have you not seen those people who have been given a portion of the book? Alam tara. What does it mean? Have you not seen? And this is a question which is for the purpose of raising curiosity. It basically expresses wonder and amazement. That, have you seen? It's amazing. It's astonishing. It's shocking. Have you seen this? Have you looked at these people? Which people who have been given a portion of the book? Who are these people? Primarily, this is referring to the people of the book. But were they not given the book in full? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that they were given a portion of the book? 
This is for several reasons. Firstly, because Allah gave them many books, but did they accept them all? No. Allah gave them the Torah, the Injil, as well as the Qur'an. But did they believe in the Qur'an? No, they refused it. Likewise, the books that they did believe in, about them also, what do we learn? أَفَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِبَعْضِ الْكِتَابِ وَتَكْفُرُونَ بِبَعْضِ They believed in parts of it, and they rejected other parts of it. So this is how they had only been given a portion of the book. They hadn't accepted the book in its entirety, as is. Rather they changed it, they altered it, they refused to believe in parts of it, they refused to practice parts of it. Or if they had some of it, what did they do with it? They changed it. So they lost the book. So they have not received the book in its entirety, rather they lost some of it, they rejected most of it, they have missed its purpose. And any person who does not take the book as is, who does not take the book completely, then he is only taking a portion of the book. Remember that one part of the book is what? Iman. It teaches about our faith. Another part of the book is that which teaches us about different things. So it's khabr. Okay, information about the day of judgment, about the messengers, about the people of the past, about the future, about our own nature. Okay, then another part of the book is ahkam, commands. Right? Ahkam, commands. Commands that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us so that we can implement them, we can observe them. Now, if a person only benefits from the information that is given in the book, then he has only taken a part of the book. If he's not implementing the commands, if he's not acting on the book, if he's not believing in everything that Allah has mentioned in the book, then has he taken the book in its entirety? No. He has taken only a portion of the book. So, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ They have taken only a portion of the book. يَشْتَرُونَ الضَّلَالَةَ They purchase misguidance. And ishtira, when a person purchases something, what does it mean? That he is preferring it. He is giving preference to it. He is taking that instead of something else. Or at the cost of something else. So Allah gave them the book. What did they do? They took only a portion of it. They were deprived of the rest because of their own sins. And then, moreover, they prefer misguidance. They don't like the commands that Allah has given. They don't like the guidance, the instruction that Allah has given. Rather, they like something else. They want something else. And unfortunately, this kind of attitude is very common amongst the Muslims of today as well. Isn't it so? That we say, yeah, yeah, I believe in the book. But when it comes to the commands that Allah has given in the book, do we actually observe them? How observant are we? Why? What's the reason? Because the heart is attracted to something else. يَشْتَرُونَ الضَّلَالَةَ They want something else. They're interested in other things. وَيُرِيدُونَ And they also want أَن تَضِلُّ sabil That you lose the way. Meaning, that the people of the book want that you, O Muslims, should also lose the right way. Meaning, they don't like you to follow the book either. They don't want to follow it themselves and they want you to adopt the same kind of attitude. Now, this is a very scary ayah. This is an ayah that presents a great warning. That when Allah is giving the book to someone, He is the recipient 
And all of us over here are who? Recipients of the book of Allah. Then we have to look at ourselves. That are we making ourselves worthy of deserving the entire book? Or is there something that we may be doing that is depriving us of receiving a part of the book? Whether it is learning the meaning of the book, understanding the concepts that are in the book, Alright? Like for example, if a person misses even one ayah, let's say you walk into class 15 minutes late, and because of that you miss two ayat, and then you don't get back, listen to the recording, you end up missing those verses completely. So have you not left something out? Have you not been deprived of something? Even if it's just two verses, have you not been deprived of something? You have been. Isn't it so? Likewise, if we sit through, we listen, we understand, but when it comes to amal, if we don't follow it, if we don't observe it, then have we not been deprived of a part of the book? Definitely we have been. So it's a great deprivation. So we must look at ourselves that when Allah has given us the chance to receive the book, then how are we receiving it? What are we preferring? What are we preferring over this book? Is it the other ways? Is it other things? Because remember that it is this book that deserves the most from us, the most attention from us. وَيُرِيدُونَ أَن تَضِلُّ السَّبِيلِ The Ahlul Kitab, they wanted the Muslims to be misguided as well. Now the Prophet ﷺ, he said that the Qur'an is either an argument for you or it is an argument against you. What does it mean? An argument for you or against you. حُجَّةٌ لَكَ أَوْ عَلَيْكَ It means that if a person receives a book in its entirety, does amal on it, recites it, observes it, passes it on, then inshallah the Qur'an is an argument for him. Meaning the Qur'an will argue on his behalf on the day of judgment that, oh Allah, please forgive him. Please enter him into Jannah. But if a person neglects the book, whether all of it or part of it, whether it is in learning part of the book, or it is in understanding it, or it is in acting on it, or it is in reciting it, then he is in trouble. Then the Qur'an will be an argument against him. Interesting that she's mentioning that once a tahfiz teacher, she told her students that if you're finding it very difficult to memorize parts of the Qur'an, then look at the meaning of those verses that you're not able to retain in your memory. That what are those verses talking about? And you will notice that it is something that you are neglecting in your daily life. Meaning those verses are talking about something which you are not doing properly in your life. You're not doing amal on it. Because you have not accepted it in the heart, it's not going to go in the brain either. You know, when your heart rejects something, when your heart is not in something, then your body doesn't accept it. Isn't it so? then if you don't want to eat some food, and if you're being force-fed it, what's going to happen? You're going to vomit. You cannot retain it. So she said, look at your actions. If you're implementing, then it will come. And if you're not implementing, this is the reason why it's not coming into your head. And we can also check ourselves when it comes to memorizing the word-to-word lesson, when it comes to preparing for the test. The question is that what if there's a person who recites the book but they don't want to know the meaning of the book because then they're afraid that they won't be able to implement it and then they'll be in trouble. The thing is that when Allah has revealed the law, when Allah has sent the message, then we have to follow it. If we don't follow it, it's our loss. Understanding it is a means you know, of making sure that you're going to follow it. If you don't understand it, it's still your fault. 
Alright? It's still your fault. This is just like a person says, no, no, I don't want to study Canadian law because if I studied, if I learned, I'm going to have to observe it. No. As long as you're in Canada, you have to follow the law of Canada. Whether you know it, whether you study it in detail, or you don't study it. And if you don't find out, and if you break traffic rules, or if you do something that's against the government, whose fault is it? Your fault. You can't say, oh, nobody taught me that in school. You know, I never knew. Nobody informed me. Why? Because before doing something, you should have found out. Is it even legal? Is it even correct? Are you even allowed? You know, for example, if a person goes to Home Depot and he's like, buys all this construction material and he goes, I'm going to go make my house myself. I'm going to go renovate myself. Now for many things that you want to do, you need a license. Even to install a gas stove, you know, you need a license. And if a person goes on doing it himself and then the house blows up, whose fault is it? It's his fault because he did something illegal. Isn't it so? So likewise, when Allah has revealed the Qur'an, you have to find out. You don't have a choice. You have to find out. وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ And Allah knows best بِأَعْدَائِكُمْ About your enemies. أَعْدَاء is the plural of عَدُو. Allah knows very well about your enemies. Who are these enemies? Those who want that you should be misguided. Those who want that you should be far from the Qur'an. Because when a person is trying to come closer to Allah, study the book of Allah, and then there are people who are criticizing him, people who are objecting, then you feel so alone and you feel like, what's going on? So Allah reassures the believer that don't worry, Allah knows about your enemies. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَلِيًّا And sufficient is Allah as wali, as patron, as an ally, as one who will defend and protect. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ نَصِيرًا And sufficient is Allah as your helper. Meaning, if Allah's help is with you, then you are good. And when will you get Allah's help? When you help Allah. إِن تَنْصُرُ اللَّهَ يَنْصُرْكُمْ When you help the cause of Allah, when you help the religion of Allah. And what's the first step? Learning, implementing. So when you will suffer difficulties in the path of Allah, then Allah will help you. مِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا Then Allah elaborates the enmity of such people. How far such people are from the book of Allah, from the guidance. مِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا Of the people who became Yahud, of the people who became Jews, and this is specifically at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that some Jews, they had this habit. What would they do? And even before them, they had this habit. What? That يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَةَ عَمَّ وَاضِعِهِ They distort words from their proper usages. يُحَرِّفُونَ حَرَّفَ From the word تَحْرِيف. What does حَرَّفَ يُحَرِّفُ تَحْرِيف mean? We have done this word earlier. To alter, to distort, to change. To change what? To distort what? Words. So they distort الْكَلِمْ Al-kalim from kalima, kalam, the words. Okay, kalima, a word, kalim, words. So they distort the words, amma mawadir, plural of mawda'. And mawda' from the root letters, wawda'da'in, wada' is to place something. And mawda' is the place where something is placed. Okay? So it's the position of something. It's the place where something is put where something is positioned. So they change the words, they distort the words from their proper places. From the position, from the place where the words were put, they change them. What does it mean? When you're talking, when you're using certain words, there's always a context in which those words are being used. Isn't it so? 
There's always a context in which a word is being used. And depending on the context, the word has a particular meaning. Now if a person takes that word out of the context, gives it a different meaning, or changes the word, then what will happen? What will happen? The meaning will be completely changed. It will be completely changed. Alright? Like for example, in the Qur'an we have learned earlier, that ra'ina, the companions they would say to the Prophet ﷺ, ra'ina, meaning please pay attention to us, pardon us, like could you repeat what you said? This is what they would say when they misunderstood him, when they could not catch what he had said. Now the Yahud, what would they say? They would say ra'ina as well, but they would change it to ra'ina, our shepherd. Just a slight change. The Sahaba meant something else. And the Yahud, when they used the word, by slightly distorting it, they gave a completely different meaning. You understand? Likewise, Assalamu alaykum. Assalamu alaykum. What does that mean? Peace be upon you. Now the same expression, they would change it slightly and they would say Assalamu alaykum. When they would see the Prophet ﷺ or the Muslims. And what does that mean? May death be upon you, may you die. Alright? So this is what? Changing the word, distorting the word from its proper usage, from its proper context, from its proper meaning. يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ عَمَّ وَاضِعِهِ Now tell me, if someone is playing with the words that you have said, then what does that show? They've got something against you. Isn't it? Like for example, if there is a particular scholar, he is given some lectures, he has spoken at various occasions, and if people take random statements from his lectures, and they say, oh look, this is what he says. Oh look, this is what he has said. And they say, he is a supporter of terrorism, or he is this, or he is that. Then, I mean, what can you say? Right? If somebody is taking your words out of context, and giving a completely different meaning to them, then what can you say? And what does it show about the person who is doing this with your words? They've got something against you. Isn't it? If you say something to a person, and they don't really get along well with you, and they completely change the meaning of what you have said, and they narrate it to someone else in a completely different way, with a different implication, then what does it show? They've got something against you. They're deliberately misunderstanding your words. So يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ عَمَّ وَاضِعِهِ They change the words from their proper places. وَيَقُولُونَ And moreover they say, سَمِعْنَا وَعَصَيْنَا They say, we have heard, but وَعَصَيْنَا We're going to disobey. عَصَيْنَا from isyan Disobedience. Look at their audacity. Yeah, we know, but not going to do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do this. Make me. سَمِعْنَا وَعَصَيْنَا This was a statement of who? Of the Yahud. This is what they said to the Prophet ﷺ. That we have heard all that you've had to say, but we're not going to listen to you. What was the reaction of the companions? What did they say? سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا We have heard and we are going to obey. Yes, it's going to be difficult. And this is the reason we're going to ask Allah for help. This is the reason we ask Allah for forgiveness. But a person whose heart is somewhere else, who has no interest in the book of Allah, then he says, yeah, I know, I'm not going to do it. Like people say that, yeah, I'm going to study the Qur'an fine if you really want me to, but don't expect me to pray and don't expect me to wear hijab and don't expect me to change. I'm, I am who I am. Don't expect me to change. Who puts these thoughts in our heart? Shaitan. 
that you're cool the way you are and you don't need to change. But the thing is that once we have heard what Allah has told us, then if we have heard, then it means that we should show with our actions that we have heard. Otherwise, what use are those ears that Allah blessed us with? That if we have heard and if we have read, but still we are like those who have not heard and who have not read. Then what's the difference between someone who knows and someone who does not know? What's the difference between a human being listening to the words of Allah and a cow listening to the words of Allah? Really, what's the difference then? A cow doesn't know. Yes, the ears are moving, the sound waves are going in. And if we show the same attitude that, yeah, yeah, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, I know, I know, I know. But asayna, then really tell me, what is the difference between us and walls? Between human beings and floors? What is the difference? You're someone much better. You're someone who's got an intellect. You're someone who's far greater, far more qualified. So show yourself as someone who is better. The Yahud, they said, Samirna wa Asayna. Now listen, one more thing. That whenever we learn of something in the Qur'an, okay, like something that we have to do, something that we have to change in ourselves, never say, yeah, I've, I know, but I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not ready for it. Don't say such things. When we find out, then make an intention at that time, that, oh Allah, I want to do it. I am going to do it. And you help me do it. And once you make up your mind that I am going to do it, oh Allah, you help me do it, then you know what? You'll be able to do it. People have been able to make the most difficult steps in their lives, the most difficult steps. But they have been able to once they made up their mind. So when a person says from the beginning, Samirna wa asayna, then he's never going to do it. But if he says, Samirna wa atarna, then eventually, atarna will come. So they said, Samirna wa asayna. And they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Wasma' ghayra musma'. Wasma'. When they would talk to the Prophet ﷺ, they would say, Wasma' ghayra musma'. Meaning they would say, Wasma' out loud, and ghayra musma', they would say, under their breath. What does it mean by isma'? Listen. Meaning listen. Listen to me. And ghayra musma', ghayra other than musma', one who is made to hear. Meaning one who listens. So غَيْرَ مُسْمَرْ Meaning, listen, may you not listen. Listen, may you never hear. May you be deaf. Okay? It was like a curse word, basically, that they would say under their breath. وَرَاعِنَا And they would also say, رَاعِنَا But not in the proper usage, but in the incorrect usage. And they would say all of this, لَيَّن لَيَّن from لَام وَاو يَا What does that mean? To twist. While twisting the altinatihim their tongues, fiddin. Why would they say all these things? Tarnan fiddin to defame the religion, to insult the religion. Tarn from the root letters ta'inun, and tarn is to abuse, to hurt, to slander. So they would say all this to abuse the deen, to hurt the Muslims, to say wrong things to the Prophet. Because someone who holds a grudge against another in their heart then they're full of hatred and they're full of raging fire inside their heart. And they want to let it out. Now if they let it out openly, publicly, then they look bad. Isn't it so? They look bad. So then what do they do? They say bad things, whatever they want to say, 
under their breath. Or they say things to them indirectly. Okay? Or they twist their words. Or something or the other they do. Why? To satisfy their hearts. So they did not say all of this as a mistake, but they did it deliberately to slander the deen. Allah says, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ And if they, قَالُوا سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا If they have said, we have heard, and we will obey, وَاسْمَعْ And they said, only, please listen to us. وَانْظُرْنَا And instead of saying, رَاعِنَا They would have said, وَانْظُرْنَا Because that's what Allah told the people to do. لَا تَقُولُوا رَاعِنَا وَقُولُوا انظرنا. Right? So if they had said, انظرنا And what does انظرنا mean? Wait for us. Okay? لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ This would have been much better for them. Why? Because what's better? Using bad words or good words? What's better? Always. It's the usage of good words that's better for a person. It's better for his record of deeds. It's better for his reputation. And you know what? It's also better for your heart. It's also better for yourself. Because when you say bad words and anger in frustration, then is that really going to solve anything? You can say ten swear words, but you're going to want to say even more. Isn't it? Which is why when a person develops a habit of saying a bad word, then he starts using it as every second word. Isn't it? In his sentence, there's a bleep, bleep, bleep after every two, three words. Why? Because he's never satisfied. But if a person controls himself, and he uses a good word in its place, then eventually his heart is satisfied. Eventually you feel that inner peace. You feel victory over yourself. You feel that happiness that you managed to control yourself when you wanted to do something wrong. So, لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ وَأَقْوَمْ And it would have been more suitable as well. أَقْوَمْ from قَافْ وَمِيمْ It would have been more suitable. But why didn't they say such good words then? What's the reason? وَلَكِنْ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِكُفْرِهِمْ But Allah has cursed them because of their disbelief. They have disbelieved. They reject, they refuse to believe. As a result, they're cursed. They're far from Allah's mercy. And when a person is far from the mercy of Allah, then he's far from doing good as well. وَلَكِنْ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِكُفْرِهِمْ فَلَا يُؤْمِنُونَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا So they do not believe except very little. Meaning their belief is very minimal or very few people from among them actually accept iman. Why? Because of their kufr. Because of their ta'an. Because of the kind of words they use against the Prophet ﷺ. Because of the taunts. Because of their mockery of the deen. So this teaches something very important. That someone who mocks the deen, because using all these words against the Prophet, against the deen, this is what? Mockery, right? So when someone mocks the deen, then what does it show? That they lack iman. They have no faith. Then there is something much greater that is missing. Let's listen to the recitation. أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا نَصِيبًا مِنَ الْكِتَابِ يَشْتَرُونَ الضَّلَالَةَ وَيُرِيدُونَ أَن تَضِلُّوا السَّبِيلِ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِأَعْدَائِكُمْ وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ وَلِيًّا وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ نَصِيرًا مِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ عَن مَّوَاضِعِهِ وَيَقُولُونَ سَمِعْنَا وَعَصَيْنَا وَاسْمَعْ غَيْرَ مُسْمَعٍ 